Welcome to Renovate, Remodel, Revolt with Whitney Page. I'm Whitney Page, and I live on one of the most beautiful islands in the entire world. But I live in one of the most toxic houses I've ever encountered. Because of this, and because I'm generally interested in learning more about green renovation projects, I've started this lovely podcast. If you want to know more about why I started the podcast or my general ethos or just hear me talk to a funny and wonderful human being, you can tune into the next episode where I discuss the why of the podcast with my dear friend, Jesley. On this episode, the first inaugural episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with my friend, Liam. I'm going to continually refer to my own home because that's what I know. That's what my big struggle, my biggest stress in my life is. Um, Living in an environment that I don't feel necessarily positive about, certainly not 100% of the time. I'm very grateful to have a beautiful family and I want to keep them healthy. And so I started this podcast to confront a hard truth which is that pre-existing homes are what most of us live in not all of us have the luxury of building our fantastic natural buildings of our dreams whether it's cob hemp straw bale rammed earth all of them have a place all of them are wonderful but for me and for a lot of people out there it's just a covetous thing at this point it's something that I deeply desire to provide for my family but am not able to currently and I think it's a big question we need to answer what happens to all of the 1950s 60s 70s 80s and beyond houses that are already built the ones that are continuing to be built with toxic materials that are literally making us sick and with the pandemic we spend more time than ever at home in our homes And I think it's giving us all a wake-up call. We need to consider our built environment. We need to consider what materials we come into contact with every day. Two quick notes before we get started. Because of Liam's lovely Irish accent, you're going to hear him say an arg value. And what he's saying is our value, as in Ralph, as in energy efficiency. And also we use the term hydroscopic, which means draws out moisture. Be sure to check out the show notes where I'll post links to things we discuss and further define any vocabulary words that might leave confusion. If you have specific questions, please email them to us at renovateremodelrevolt at gmail.com. And I will do my best to bring on experts that address those questions so that we can learn more together. Thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoy this first episode with Liam. Thank you very much, uh, Whitney, for inviting me to speak today. I am Liam Donahue. I'm a lecturer in the Technological University in Dublin. Uh, in Ireland. Uh, I'm also a serial entrepreneur who um, 
uh, managed to raise funds and set up one of the largest uh, insulation manufacturing plants for natural insulation uh, within, certainly within Ireland and Britain. Um, and I did that about 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, so in that factory, we were manufacturing mostly fiber insulation from sheep's wool uh, and then later from hemp. So that uh, generated a bit of interest for me in hemp as an insulating material it was very new in this country and in Britain at the time. Um, and now I've subsequently gone on to do PhD studies in uh, hempcrete uh, for new construction and for renovations. So uh, I have a lot of experience developing products uh, as well as doing actual academic research. Correct. And we met at the Hemp Building Summit in Ketchum, Idaho, and it's already been two years. I can't believe it. Well, I guess a year and a half, um, yeah. but they've already done their second summit virtually because of the pandemic. And so I reached out to you for many, many reasons, but mostly because I remember one of our conversations about permeability versus um, what do you, impermeable structures. And yeah. that really stuck with me. And obviously just your kind and open heart. You're just a lovely, lovely human. So thank you for, for coming on. One of the things I thought would be fun is, you know, because you have so many hats, tell me what a day in the life of Liam looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At the moment, uh, it's a little bit atypical Whitney because, um, our children are not allowed to go to school at the moment, uh, but that's going to change in a couple of weeks. So a typical day is I bring my son to the office and I try and get him to do some homework and some schoolwork. And then I might go online and be lecturing to students uh, who I teach in my college. Um, and then I might be answering the phone to somebody who wants to use hempcrete in a building mm. um, or wants to grow. Uh, like recently I did a, a similar sort of uh, event like this, a webinar and had a lot of queries from people who wanted to grow hemp for fiber, for example. Primarily, it's mostly grown at the moment for seed and for CBD. Yeah, so now people are starting to look at the other uses for it. And um, so that's a typical day. Another thing I might be doing is helping somebody to plan an energy efficient renovation and doing some type of work where they can get a government grant uh, to do that. So, you know, we, we do have schemes here for uh, for renovation, we, we, we give money to uh, people who want to do that, but they're primarily aimed at synthetic materials. So, you know, that's something I can kind of uh, expand on a little bit uh, as we talk. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I was looking at was the nature wool and the nature hemp. When you have a non-permeable surface, say you have traditional siding in, you know, cheap siding like T111 or something like that, or painted wood, maybe, um, you know, what happens if you put a hydroscopic insulation right next to that? Yeah, well, what's, it, it depends on the movement of moisture through the material, right? So if there's a way for the moisture to escape, right, then there's no problem. But if it's, if, as you said, it, so if it's, if it's something metal, it'll cause corrosion and rust. If it's painted, it probably will also form a moisture barrier. So um, the, over a period of time, if that is allowed to happen, it'll, it'll cause mold probably, right? So right. The, whole, 
The whole idea of using uh, these types of materials is that they're installed in a breathable construction. Now, at the very least, it has to be breathable on one side, and that has to be the side that hopefully the air will pass through uh, to move the, the, any buildup of excessive moisture out. Ideally, it's breathable on both sides though. So that's why we, we usually have, for example, a type of construction where we have a plaster that is also breathable, like a lime plaster or, or something like that. Right. So if you had, um, you know, if you had an older home that was, say, again, with like a non-permeable structure on the outside, and then you have the insulation, and then you just have a regular drywall or something. Yeah that's going to be just like using a normal fiberglass insulation, like the hemp wool that Maddie and, and Hempotexture exactly. is coming up yeah. with. So that's yeah. no big deal. But I guess I was wondering, you know, um, in, a, in a house that already has some sort of glue-based, you know, wood product and painted on the exterior, how would a, you know, if you put hempcrete right up against that, instead of using torn boards on both sides that has the potential to create mold in between there as well, correct? It is, but once you don't put it, you don't have to put it right up against it. You know, you can have a, a kind of a ventilated cavity. I mean, the outside uh, surface that you're talking about is usually really a rain screen. That's, that's the primary purpose of it. So uh, the insulation doesn't have to be exactly flush up against it. And in Ireland, like we have a lot of that type of construction where we actually have cavity walls, you know, right? And that's that's because we have a lot of driving rain. I I, I guess you're in the Pacific Northwest, is that right? That's so, right. Yeah, good memory. Yeah, so, so you probably have the very similar same. type of climate. So same. Uh, I know you also have a lot of lumber there, so you have a lot of timber construction, but but we build timber uh, constructions here as well now. Now you know we didn't always do that, but we do and. It's just a matter of detailing it, uh, Whitney, so that, so that there's a gap between the elements there. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I think what I'm, what I'm really getting to is just that there is a, an era of American-made homes that are, everybody wants to renovate them because they're the mid-century, they're usually cheaper, and that's what happened to me is I built, it happened to me, no, I chose, we were lucky enough to buy where we live, I'm very, I feel very lucky that we got one of the last affordable homes on Orcas Island, but, you know, it's been nothing but tears since then because the building was built with all synthetic material, I mean, just anything you can think of that's hazardous, toxic, <laughs> it's, it's in my house. So as I'm trying to, you know, and I don't know if you knew that that was how I got into green building was that I was a construction worker. I was a carpenter's assistant while my, my firstborn was still um, nursing. And so it was, I still had that connection with my child in this very real way. And I was coming home every day after being on the job site with splitting headaches and just fatigue and just, you know, not feeling like good about feeling like I needed to shower before I was able to nurse my son and worrying about what I was bringing home on my clothes. And, and so, and also because I live on an Island, I'm more hyper aware of where waste goes and things like that. And so sure. what I'm looking at, what I feel like we're facing in this country, and I don't know how it is in Ireland, but or in Europe in general, is that you see all these beautiful retrofit jobs with hempcrete and lime plaster where the original materials were natural. But 
here, there's so many homes that the materials are not natural. And so you're, when you're looking to renovate, it's like you're joining two different worlds. And so what I'm really wondering about, I guess, is, you know, is it more beneficial as a homeowner to rip out all of the toxic, the toxic, this is Margo, everyone, you can hear my baby. (laughs) She's a sweetie. But, um, I think what I'm wondering is, you know, say you rip out all of the old OSB and it just goes to the dump. In that case, would it be better to leave it and seal it up with something? Or is it better to totally remove it so that you can have a healthier home? Yeah, um, you see, I would say that in general, most people will... um, will remove everything uh, in that situation. Um, the, the, the question you asked is a very good one, and I think it's more to do with, can you repurpose the materials that you're taking out in some way, right? Um, so I suppose if you're, if you're a carpenter, you can, you can build uh, storage units or you can build sheds or you can do something with old OSB. Uh, but if that if those types of skills are not within your reach, well, then it's not really, I mean, when you say OSB, it, do you mean that it's treated with some kind of formaldehyde or some other type of, um, I don't know, uh, something toxic? Yeah, so that that's what I keep running into. And that's where this, I think that's what the point of this whole podcast is, is that we're, we're all looking for the answer to this question, which is, I think, is it better to to have a envelope where you've painted the walls with latex paints, you've sealed up every crack with a caulk line and you've created this kind of impermeable envelope on the inside yeah. so that you're not getting mold penetration, you're not getting, um, you know, the OSB isn't coming through, nothing's coming through. Yeah. yeah. That might leave a cavity on the inside where there is all of these things, rat poop and fiberglass insulation and all these things right so I think it's just a really interesting question to to continue searching for the answers to as new products are developed because I've run into contractors that say okay you just need to seal it all up you know like for example a linoleum floor in your kitchen that's glued down you don't want to start chipping away sanding at that in case it has um, asbestos in it so instead, you just seal on top of it with more concrete or more something, right? Or you yeah. tile over it or you do something to just kind of seal it in there. So for all of time, that asbestos is not getting disturbed. And yeah. there's just so much of that in renovation, whether it's siding yeah. or whether it's sealing tiles, you know, there's all these great products out there that you could replace these asbestos tiles with, but you'd have to take them out first or do you yeah. just put, you know what I'm saying? Sorry. That's a I do, really yeah, long question. I <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I do. I, I mean, I, it's not a very easy question to answer and um, to be honest, uh, because, you know, I suppose ethically speaking, if you're, if you're taking out all that stuff, then you've got to dump it somewhere else. All right. Um, as I said, unless you can repurpose it in some way. So I think overall I would lean to, I would lean more to trying to, um, not necessarily seal it up, but try to neutralize it in some way. Um, now, like if you take asbestos specifically, uh, I, I understand that it's not that dangerous so long as it's not disturbed. You know, I think it's disturbing it that's the problem. All right. But uh, other 
types of wood-based materials that are soaked with uh, formaldehyde and VOCs and, and those kind of things, um, I would be thinking I would be taking those out. Yeah. Now, okay. obviously, uh, wool, sheep's wool and hemp wool both have the sort of capacity to absorb uh, some of those um, those uh, VOCs, as we call them. But uh, there's not a lot of research on it, Whitney, as to what happens to them um, in the long term. All right. Like we do, we do know, for example, that sheep wool can be used to clean up oil spills and can absorb an awful lot of toxic stuff, but it's still being stored there in your home, right? So um, I, I would try and minimize uh, those materials. Um, asbestos, I probably would think very carefully about moving it though, uh, because it has to be dumped somewhere else. And I don't think it's really usable for anything uh, other than roof shingles or something. <laughs> Well, I think that's that's the larger issue, right? As we've created, there was such a gap in the, there was all these beautiful homes built with natural timber. Maybe they didn't have a lot of insulation, but yeah. we, could, we can easily go to an 1800s built home that was timber and lime and we can, we can retrofit that. And That's so right. I think that was, I think that that was a great answer and I'm, I'm continuing to explore it. One of the things I want to ask um, a lime plaster expert is, you know, what happens when you put clay on your interior walls? What happens when you put lime on your interior walls? If you are trying to leave the sub the substructure, like the OSB or the paneling yeah. or whatever, so that you would get kind of the best of both something that cleans the air, but isn't compromising the integrity, having to pull it out and dump it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is really something that's very poorly understood in every country at the moment. Um, so all building models uh, primarily focus on uh, fabric uh, heating transmission values, right? So uh, there's an experiment done where you measure the rate of heat flow through a linear uh, square meter of, a, of an element or a surface. Now, in the type of materials that we're talking about, um, those kind of losses are less important, right? Because of the, the fact that the materials are hygroscopic, the, the moisture and the heat is now migrating in all directions in the material, you know, right? So it, what that means is that they have a buffering effect and it takes longer uh, to heat them up and longer to cool them down. So um, for that reason, um, thermal mass, tends to be considered a lot more in areas where there are extremes of temperature. So in Ireland, for example, it's hardly considered at all, all right? Yet, uh, when you look back through, now in modern houses, uh, that's the case, certainly in timber frame houses, but when you look back through, uh, for example, the house where my grandfather and my father grew up, uh, which is shown in my presentation, um, it's 150 years old. There's absolutely no dampness in that house, right? Even though it hasn't been heated for, you know, um, probably 50 years. All right. It's just been used as an agricultural building and there's gaps in the walls and all kinds of things. So um, the, the fact is that um, the way the insulation materials business works uh, people who manufacture synthetic insulation have been able to create a situation where the building regulations are primarily focused 
just around the movement of heat in one direction. All right. And that disfavors the performance of, um, of clay, of hemp, of straw and uh, sheep's wool and those types of materials. The grants that you can get, um, the, the, because of the way that the energy performance is measured, you often see that um, you can use like a very thin rigid foam insulation, for example, um, and you'll meet the criteria for the grant I see. Uh, and not lose as much internal living space. You see what I mean? Yes, so, I do. Um, the other thing as well is that a lot of the suppliers of, would say, the non-standard materials tend to be smaller businesses, smaller companies that don't have as much of a budget to pay for um, the types of tests and, and standards that need to be developed. The larger companies all sit on these standards committees and have very effective lobbying to, to gear them to favor their own materials. But there's no reason why um, hemp or uh, lamb's wool or whatever can't do the same, you know. And in fact, the clay people, I believe, in the U.S. have already managed to create a, a kind of a, a clay building standard for adobe in um, in the south of the country, as far as I know. And I, I'm still quite involved with the U.S. HBA, and uh, you know, it's primarily voluntary organization, as far as I can see, but. There are a lot of people involved now who are trying to have these types of conversations with the with the IEEE and the ASTM and all right. the standards bodies for uh, the alternative materials. Right, and I'm I think there's a lot of a lot being done with third party certification here, which is really exciting. Um, yeah. that seems to be a huge improvement from even a few years ago. But I think That's because right. you're a teacher, you're a professor, right? So how do you feel about your students? Do they seem to be asking? questions and and headed in a different direction um you know our our school uh, primarily my section of it is an electrical skills school uh, but i was brought in because i have a not only an interest in alternative building materials but also in i would say absolutely i mean and in the um and in and in the wider use of using renewable energy right so the way that all of our building regulations are going in Europe is that not only do you have to build in such a way to make the, the, the heat demand lower, but you also have to use as much renewable energy as is practical uh, to provide your heating load. So I'd say that's one thing that's a big difference between Europe and the US. Yes. I, I haven't really seen that type of development in the US at all, except maybe in California or somewhere like that you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Man, we could go down a political wormhole there, but we're not going to. So okay. <laughs> we don't have time for that. <laughs> I mean, have you been abreast to anything that's going on in Texas right now? Oh, yes, I have. Okay. I, actually, I was teaching the students about it today. All right. Oh. It was very interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's my home state. That's where oh, I'm from. Okay. Yeah, both my husband and I are from Texas. So we are, right. you know, we were very lucky that uh, that our family, everybody's fine. Everybody was safe. You know, everybody was taken care of, but just horrible. You just hear horrible stories and it just points out so many holes, so many flaws in the way that the government is. Oh, anyway, point being, I think we have so, so far to go. And when you're, when you're taking these classes on healthy buildings, healthy homes, it can feel so overwhelming, you know? And I think that it must be invigorating to see a younger generation coming in that already has 
that knowledge and already is asking and pushing for better. I think, you know, there's, I think there's a, there's a, there's always optimism and positivity when you're dealing with a younger generation, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't yeah. you think so? Absolutely. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why we do it, right. We're doing it for our kids because yeah. I think if you, you know, if the pandemic had been affecting babies and mothers, it would have been a whole different, a whole different ball game because yeah. we, we're evolutionarily built and we care about our babies that's so right. I think that's why healthy buildings, it's so interesting that this hasn't, it shows the power of the chemical companies and just that forward momentum. That's what I was going to say earlier that I, I need to jump back to, which is that you have these different time periods in my mind of in building where you have the natural building up to a point, and then it becomes the industrial revolution. And then it becomes, I guess, the chemical age is what I would call it, where everything yep. started to be manufactured and, and and made with chemicals and glues and all of those toxic materials. And so now we're kind of coming back from that and going, okay, wait, that was a mistake. Let's go back to what they've been using for thousands and thousands of years. And so I think bridging that gap and trying to figure out what do we do with all the houses that were built in between those, those two ages, I and how do we, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I do. Yeah. So, and one thing that I was going to ask you is, have you seen the new 3D printed models with clay that they're doing in Italy? Mm, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I just think they're so beautiful. And it, it reminds yeah. me, you know, of something that is pairing to the technology with the permeable traditional materials. Yeah. And what I was going to say, uh, just in response to what you were uh, just discussing there is, you know, what I'd prefer to think about is instead of let's go back to what we were doing, let's go forward with what we were doing, because, you know, we, we have to recognize that, um, that the world has changed. And, and this is something I, I always kind of make a point of saying when I'm doing any of these kind of talks or presentations is that people's perception of value and comfort is a lot different now than it was 100 years ago. So, um, and that's all around the world. It's not just in the Western world, it's all around the world. So um, why not innovate in the space of natural materials to, to move forward with them as, uh, as the new standard? Do you, do you know what I mean? Rather yeah, than, definitely. And, 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 the, and the issue of course, is that at one point, if you take, if you take concrete as a, as a prime example, uh, you know, concrete was an innovative material in its day, and now it's evolved to a point where if I want to build with concrete, I don't even have to think about getting a certificate for it. It's so generic. But that's because all the concrete people have shared their information, they've shared their data, and it's a recognized thing, you know, across the world. Mm. But, there, but with the technology that we have, like I'm having a conversation with you, you're in um, Washington Island. State. Washington, oh. yes, yeah. <laughs> Right. You know, with the te technology allows us to share this knowledge so much more efficiently. All right. So um, so I, I kind of uh, the, the last talk I did with with Steve Allen and his uh, hemp building association, I said, you know, this is what we have to do. We have to use today's tools to uh, kind of commodify our 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 uh, products and our perspective. Do you, do right. you know what I mean? And, and, yes. 
and um, and really, if we manage to do that, really will be a revolution. It will happen. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen very, very quickly. Um, you know, the at the moment, uh, there's two countries, for example, in Europe, already legislating um, to. Uh, so you have kind of one or two energy certification models for buildings in the UK, in the US, uh, but uh, there's two countries now in Europe. Uh, regulating to include the embodied carbon of materials. Now, I know you, you were sort of wanting to talk about um, renovation specifically, but uh, the embodied carbon is a massive one, right? And if, if, the, if the polluting materials can be regulated, the first thing we have got to do is stop making new buildings with the old materials. I call, you know, I call concrete and those things the old materials. It's just... It's just like a little trick of my mind uh, with these. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I love don't. That. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna have yeah. to start using that. You're manifest. You're 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 manifesting it, right? You have to. If yeah. you want, if you want the universe to give you a cookie, you can't just say cookie. You have to say a warm chocolate chip cookie out of that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What is happening in that space is that instead of um, you know the performance of the material when the product is built. All right, when the when the house is built, we're now looking at the whole life cycle of the material. So we have a, a system here that is being developed by our Green Building Council, uh, which is called an environmental product declaration. So it, it's basically something now that you can that you can use uh, to map the entire life cycle of the building uh, material from cradle to cradle. You know, all right. Is so, it cradle to cradle? Because that is a third-party certification. It is. Yeah. It is cradle to cradle. It is. Yeah. yeah Such a fan. Yeah. Such a fan. Yeah. So that that will make a massive difference. Uh, at the moment, it's a voluntary scheme, uh, Whitney. But this is what I was saying is that in some countries already, they're beginning to regulate that, right? So if I look back at my own career now for a minute, uh, in the last twenty years. When I started out, I would I would be explaining to people what a NOR value means. They didn't know what that is, right? So in that space of time, we're now actually have the opposite problem where, as you said earlier, we're making actually buildings too airtight and too well insulated, and then they require cooling. Now, um, so that's just because that space has been captured primarily by people who are only selling on the linear thermal transmittance, you know, right? So we, we have to broaden it out a little bit and look at uh, kind of, you know, almost from a traditional architectural standpoint of the entire building and its materials in the setting where it's built, you know, right? And that's, that's the leap that we're going to make. And um, when you talked about going back earlier, that's the way that homes were always traditionally made, you know, right? And that's the way we need to build them going forward. We need to be thinking about that type of subdivision rather than the type that we have at the moment. Right. It reminds me of when we had our first, we used reusable diapers and yeah. they were great, but they were a lot of work. And this yeah. time around, I'd be better off with a completely compostable, not biodegradable, but compostable diaper, if that yes, were a thing, indeed. Yeah. because yeah. it would, it would suit everyone and you wouldn't have to put in the extra effort. And so I was thinking about that last night when I knew we were going to speak just that, you know, people, it has to be easy for people. People 
people want to just be able to replace their drywall with another board that works better, but yeah. you put up the exact same way. They just want exactly. Yeah. They want yeah. what they know. Yeah. 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 To a, to a large extent, that's true. And I think you'll find that, um, you know, the innovation will happen uh, very, very quickly uh, as the, the big drawback for hemp for specifically in the US has been just the supply of raw materials. Right. But because of the hemp bill uh, or the farm bill that was signed like two years ago, now there's a massive uh, production of hemp all over the country. Now, unfortunately, primarily went into CBD and, and very difficult markets, all right, in the first year or two. But in the last five or six months, what I'm noticing is that there's a lot of people now looking at fiber for insulation, for paper, uh, for uh, textiles, um, and all those other sort of things where, uh, where hemp has al always been used going back through time. So I, I think that you'll see an awful lot of hemp building in the US uh, in the next couple of years. I really do. I do too. And I think it's, it's very much like I often think of the runways in Milan or something that you have these fashion runways. And I felt like I was watching that when I was logging on to a, a Zoom call recently with some people from the Healthy Materials Lab that they were hosting. It was an architect and a designer and they were all speaking and it was, it was great, but it also felt like I'm watching the runway. This is not shopping at Target or a large supermarket. Yeah. This is like, this is going to have to trickle down over time. And yeah. it's interesting that when we met, which has already, already been a year and a half, I feel like things have just snowballed. It was like, absolutely, yeah. and I don't, I, I think that there's a global consciousness maybe, or people are just, we're all in touch. And so it just kind of speeds up whenever something is shown to be a good thing but yeah. i do feel like we haven't seen the total trickle effect yet to this the, yeah. the the general population it hasn't happened yet but i feel like it's happening yeah yeah there's a curve that's used uh you know if i if i had a, a picture now i could draw it but basically it, it's the curve of adoption of technologies all right and um, so it, they use this like all the tech giants and so on so you've got like the real risk takers here at this part of the curve, and then you have the early adopters, and then gradually it slopes up until it's up here, and it's like the shoe shine boy, and everybody's doing it, you know. So I think at this, we're still at this part of the curve here, uh, just gently sloping up through the early adopters. All right, um, and it it will it will accelerate, but the main thing that will make it accelerate would be legislation and regulation it's so boring and tedious to say that all right but just as the example i gave of the farm bill uh, suddenly leading to an explosion in the amount of hemp that's been cultivated um, something similar in terms of the um the the embodied carbon or the, the 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 amount of energy that's used to produce the material which hemp could have a great um kind of advantage in you know, with the carbon sequestration and so on, that is something like that going into the law or into regulation, or into building codes. That's what will get us up to this part of the curve here. Right. You know? They talked about on that same Zoom call, they talked about the material sort of the material credit on the lead program and oh, how, really, yeah. how there's only 20 required now, but that they are seeing a change toward 
making it a much higher number, which would help right. quite a lot because 20 yeah. in a building, the woman said she had had, uh, she counted and that there were 350 in her one building that she was working on. So 20 right. is nothing. Um, I see. One thing I wanted to ask you, because you're an entrepreneur, which most entrepreneurs are early adopters, what's before an early adopter? An inventor? I guess so, yeah. yeah. A yeah. criticizer? <laughs> uh, you know, a, a head case, uh, maybe is the best. <laughs> what, is some, what are some materials that you have seen or heard about recently that you're excited about? Oh, um, well, I, I think, and I'm still excited about it. And I mean, this will give you an insight into my world um, and the way I think. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in New York and I have a sister and she lives in Woodside. Uh, well, actually, she lives in um, a little bit further out in Nassau County now. But I was, I was so blown away by this material that I wanted to, to doorstop uh, the people who make it. Who oh, live yeah. up in Itaca in all right. And it's a type of mycelium foam insulation that's used for packaging. All right. Now that that to me was an absolute um, that was an absolute breakthrough uh, for packaging. And and you know we only have to see what's going on with the with the type of uh, world we're living in now, with everybody getting their groceries delivered and all these types of things to see the potential for something like that. All right. Um, because it's fully biodegradable and uh, there's so much waste of packaging in, in the world today, you know? So, so again, if we move with the times that we have, right? I mean, obviously hard environmentalists would say, no, let's not go to supermarkets and, you know, let's just um, go to farmer's markets and all these kinds of things. But it's like what we were talking about earlier. That's not open to everybody all around the country. No? And it is a somewhat elitist type of thing. So the majority of people are still going to get things delivered and, and so on. So let's tackle the problem there, you know. So that, that, that is an example of one that I got very excited about, I must admit. Now, that's probably not that new, uh, but I still think it has huge potential. And I knew from, um, I knew from my background with wool insulation that people were looking for a solution for that problem, particularly for food, you know, for, for, for shipping food around. See, this is why you were my first, because look, I guess muted it. You couldn't even hear, um, but I'm learning. Learn as you go. <laughs> Definitely an entrepreneurial trait, I feel. So thank you very much, Whitney. Um, so I suppose that the main thing I would say, uh, I would appeal to anybody listening is that all of us who are uh, pioneers and advocates and fans and enthusiasts for natural materials, that we have to work together uh, in a truly um, knowledge sharing, in the spirit of knowledge sharing and, and exploration all over this lovely world of ours um, to collate our information. So I see, for example, a lot of colleagues in, in the US um, trying to answer questions that have already been answered in Europe, they've been answered in France, and they've been answered in, in uh, the UK in research. We all need to work together to, to sort of collaborate and collate the knowledge that is already there, you know, right? And some of us then have gone down the road of getting materials certified and, and so on. And that's expertise that we can bring uh, to the table. And 
Um, you know, I, I, I live my life by that sort of, I'm a teacher, as you know now, so I live my life by that kind of ethos these days. And, uh, and I think we all are students and we're teachers and we can all learn uh, so much from each other by collaborating in that way. And thank you very much, Whitney, for uh, asking me to be your first speaker on this. And I'm sure your uh, podcast will be very successful.